0: you're listening to feral attraction hosted by metrico and vero the science colleague on this week's show we open with a discussion on workplace discrimination and sexuality based pay gaps our main topic is on commissioning art we talk about the do's and do nots for your art commissioning desires we close with a question on age and disability in the fandom and how to avoid being made fun of for either Hello again and welcome to Feral Attraction. I'm Metrico. And I'm Fear of the Science Collie. So last November, there was a study that was published in the American Sociological Review, which is the flagship journal of the American Sociological Association. And it was the study was uh, sexual orientation in the labor market. It was written by uh, Trenton D. Mize, who is a doctoral student at the uh, the Department of Sociology in the College of Arts and Sciences at um, Indiana University Bloomington. Um, and basically, what the study looked at was uh, up until that point, research in workplace uh, pay discrimination had really only been done in a binary sort of setting. Men versus women, straight people versus queer people, that sort of thing. And so by looking at sources of information published by the government, um, what he was able to do was to widen the playing field and make individual groups, um, so you just don't have men versus women. You have gay men and bisexual men and married men and married gay men. And so all of these groups were made individual. It is important to note before we kind of get into this, that um, gender identity was not included in this examination. So there has yet, uh, at least in this study, There has yet to be any kind of a a determination for trans individuals in the workplace. What the research found was that there was sufficient evidence to point that gay men get paid less than straight men. Lesbian women get paid more than their straight counterparts. And bisexual men and women just get paid less than everybody. Yay.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations,
0: Vero. Um, So they were able, you know, uh, um, Trenton demise was able to kind of give explanations for some of them. For example, gay men tend to get paid less because married men and fathers tend to get paid more. And gay men, generally speaking, there's less of a tendency for marriage and there's less of a tendency for there to be children. Um, this of course is changing, but it is important to note that this was done kind of towards the end, like right when marriage for everybody was really starting to pick up. And we were still having those lovely spats in certain States where if you, you know, tried to get married, then you got a really angry woman that was yelling about Jesus and refusing to sign your certificates. With lesbian women, it was found that that uh, mothers tend to get paid less than females that do not have kids, and this can be viewed as part of taking time off to care for children, unpaid time off, you know, if your kid is sick. And also, in general, um, there are some women who do prefer to stay at home any more permanent basis. And so all of these factors do kind of point at the fact that women do get paid less if you are a mother. Um, Lesbians who, according to this study, apparently there's a lesser tendency for there to be children involved. Um, They're able to work longer hours, work more, work for a longer period of time over years, that sort of thing. So there were explanations for gay men and lesbian women, but when it came to bisexual men and women, there's just kind of a discrepancy that can't be accounted for. You know, I think this study is a little bit interesting, and I think the fact
1: that they couldn't account for this discrepancy points to exactly, in a way, maybe it's a flaw to in the, kind of, the, so, the socio, kind of social approach to this study. I think it's an interesting question because there's a couple biases biases that might not be getting accounted for here i'm thinking about this speaking as a bisexual person and i find that a lot of bisexual people tend to be rather avant-garde because once you've shed expectations such as sexuality and this is also true of of gay people and also you know lesbians and other people in the queer community right once you've shed certain expectations once you can just, you know, look your mother in the eye and say, I suck dick, mom, once you've crossed those thresholds, you're, you tend to be more willing to transgress other societal expectations, one of which is to follow the career ladder, and another one of which is to be monogamous. And people who are less likely to be monogamous, I think, are also more likely to lead other types of alternative lifestyles, because there are studies that show that alternative lifestyles do tend to cluster with each other, Right. There's a reason why geeks tend to be into polyamory and BDSM. Why? Like, why? Who would think that like sci-fi nerds, ge- uh, BDSM and polyamory would go together? Why? Like, why would that be the case? Why does furry and like sexual openness go together, right? It's there's these questions, right? Why? Do, why do these communities congregate together? Why is alternative lifestyles? Why do they go together? And I think there actually is a, that actually does have some explanatory power here potentially. I'm not saying that study's been done, but I would like to see a study that, that looked into that whether there's by looking into people who describe themselves as leading alternative lifestyles and looking at their you know, average salary and then correlating that with sexuality and gender identity, you could find some very interesting results. I'd love to see that study.
0: That would be a very interesting like liminal cross-section to see why these groups tend to have these one or two points of data that correlate. Um. Yeah, that would be something that would be interesting to see. I, I can see that taking years, though. Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, you could do some of it retrospectively,
1: which is cool right. because we we definitely have data sets that include the right data. I'm sorry, I'm kind of speaking as a data scientist now, but I mean, this would I do do this for a living. Like, mm-hmm. we could do this retrospectively by looking at data sets that included people who reported like, you know, lifestyles inventories or something right. that, that included sexuality and then mm-hmm. seeing if they, that also happened to capture their income data, right? You could do some of these studies with data sets that already exist potentially, which yeah. is kind of cool. So I'd love to see somebody doing, you know, hey, anyone listening who's doing a PhD or a master's degree in sociology or a similar field, feel free to steal that idea for your thesis because I'd love
0: to see that information out there somewhere. Absolutely. One kind of takeaway point that we can kind of discuss, and and I'm I'm looking at the United States. So, we're going to talk politics for a second. Currently, there is no federal, nationwide ruling that says that discrimination in the workplace on the basis of sexuality, gender identity, any sort of thing other than really gender and race is prohibited when it comes to the rate of pay there is also no kind of workplace protection this is something that is needed for really any kind of minority group there is there there is the need for this protection now there is of course in play a policy for federal jobs for government jobs that says that there cannot be certain types of discrimination however if you are a regular joe if you are a standard layman you have no protection in play in certain states for example for being fired because they find out that you're gay or bisexual or lesbian or trans and unfortunately there's really no recourse that you have Um, when I was growing up, I was actually fired from one job for, they, they found out that I sucked dick and it was unfortunate. I just kind of showed up and they're like, yeah, um, we don't imply, we don't employ homosexuals at this company. And that was it. And there is nothing I could do. I could take them to court, but the unfortunate part is that I wasn't making enough money to afford a lawyer. And (laughs) at that point in time, the the main advocacy groups, I mean, the ACLU, uh, human rights campaign, there were bigger battles to fight. They were more concerned about the right to be married than the right to work. And so in this political climate where everything's kind of up in air, it's important that we look at certain battles that we can fight. It's important that we look for proactive steps. And one of the things that we really need to focus on is making sure that trans individuals can't be fired for, you know, if, if their workplace finds out that they're trans or if a bisexual individual, if somebody happens to see them on a date. Oh, no, like. We need to put federal protections in play. It is highly unlikely in this political climate that that will happen. We've already seen that there are. Th- I mean, I mean, President Trump. Ugh, I can barely say that <laughs> without. Uh. He has already stated that one of his goals is to put the First Amendment Protection Act, which allows for work, of, which allows for businesses to. Not have to service people on the basis of religious protection. So I'm sorry, but um this is I'm a Christian doctor, and you're gay, so uh, I can see that you got shot, but um no, I'm not going to treat you because I don't agree with your lifestyle. We need to put protections in play. So far, that protection act has not really gained any traction. but
1: one more uh, example, though, that I find scary, you gave the, the medical one. Another one might be a public defender. <laughs> who'd say, if you're the only public defender in a county and you don't like gay people, well, I guess that means those yeah. gay people lose the right to, a, to, a, to an attorney in that particular instance,
0: right? Right. This isn't just about cake shops refusing to cater to gay weddings. This goes a lot deeper. When it comes to the ability to refuse service and to deny employment. So this is something that we should start looking at. This is something that is important, is useful and heartful for everybody, not just gay people, not just trans individuals, not just everybody benefits from having a more diverse workplace. Everybody. And so it is important that we begin to take steps in that direction. Again, in this political climate, I might wake up tomorrow and i i mean i'm terrified to look at the news like it really is very much so like star trek where i'm just like okay damage reports like (laughs) what the fuck has gone on like i i went to bed and i woke up and it's like north korea launched missiles and we just kind of took pictures of classified documents okay (laughs) okay whatever like what else is new we had
1: guys on facebook ran like live tweeting some crisis conversations that's great
0: (laughs) So just be mindful of this. This is something, you know, the the idea that in the United States, in this political climate, things are looking uncertain. And we as a community, not just furry, not just gay, not just trans, but we as a community of, let's say, humans, of people, <laughs> of like-minded individuals, need to band together to make sure that everybody is taken care of gay, trans, black, Hispanic, regardless of background, regardless of identifying factors that we look after each other, because we're going to need that more than ever before. We're going to shift gears though. And, you know, this episode is airing after Valentine's Day, and we didn't want to come, you know, with something that's really heavy You know, like, here's how you handle your Valentine's Day breakup. So, Yeah, no, we didn't want to go that direction. We wanted to do something a little bit lighter, but also a little bit more fandom-related. So we're going to talk about commissions. There were a few, we'll say, arguments on Twitter that occurred (laughs) recently concerning artists. Why are artists allowed to charge how much they are, you know... Artists charge too much money. Nobody is willing to do what I want them to do. They won't let me crop my art in a certain way. Artists are the bane of the fandom. A lot of these arguments have been happening over the past few weeks, and if you follow either of our Twitter, you might have seen that we contributed a little bit. I wouldn't say we fanned the flame so much as we kind of sparked it a little bit more, perhaps, but this is a topic that's very important to discuss you know as as a preface you know most artists within the fandom are what we would consider to be freelancers the these are for artists that their only source of income is commissions they 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 they're pure freelancers they don't have a standard we'll say brick and mortar job all they do is fandom based work Yay, freelancing. I'm a freelancer. So speaking, you know, you're talking to two, you know, it's, it's, I've done freelancing in the past as my sole source of income. Vero is a freelancer. So we have a lot to say on this topic, but we just want to kind of, you know, I, I, on a personal note, I just wanted to start out by saying, you know, be nice to your freelancers because they don't have to like do what they're doing. You're not necessarily doing them a favor like, look, I have money, dance for me, puppet dance. Just be mindful of that. Be nice to your freelancers, artists in the fandom, whether you write, whether you create music, whether you do what we would consider to be traditional art, graphic art, whatever it might be, whatever your contribution. It is important to the continuation, to the propagation, and to the beautification of this fandom. I mean, where would we be if we didn't have people that created fursuits? Where would we be if we didn't have people that did, hey, this is my character reference. Hey, this is the model that I'm using on Second Life. Somebody has to create those. So be nice to the people that are doing that. Don't be dicks. That's that's just going to be the basis of this topic. Don't be dicks to artists. That is pretty much what it comes down to. But there are a few other things that we wanted to kind of address. So... One of the questions that um, we sometimes see is, "What are the rules of commissioning art?" So that that's kind of the broad view of this. What are the rules? what is What is the etiquette? What are the do's and do nots? Of- yeah, I think rules might be a little harsh because it's. I mean. At the end of the day,
1: just like how every relationship is unique, every commission experience, right. every contract you have can also be unique. So rules is a little harsh, but we're talking more okay. about norms and expectations, right? Yeah,
0: These are more guidelines. These are things that you, you know, should be aware of. They may not apply in every situation, but these are things that you should be mindful of. So if you're commissioning art of your own character, of your original character, of your OC <laughs> have fun, have fun. Pretty much anything goes. I mean, if you and the artist mutually agree on whatever it is that you want created, that's pretty much good to go. That becomes the contract that the artist works under. Could be maybe you want some like gooey tentacle fetish porn and that's great. As long as the artist is like, yeah, I'm totally down with that, then cool. It doesn't get much easier than that. That's pretty good. The question then becomes what if you're commissioning art of other people's characters? The guideline for this is just don't do it. With some caveats. (laughs) There are some caveats to that. I think, you know, speaking of someone who's done this before,
1: it is occasionally okay to surprise someone with art. And obviously, if you're surprising someone with art, you're not going to be asking them if you have permission to use their character so now you're in a conundrum right because you're violating a rule against not commissioning out of someone else's character without the permission so i think that like and maybe i say well how can i tell whether it's okay for me to do this or not basically i think the relevant question to ask yourself and this is kind of weird maybe is th- ask yourself whether you would have implied consent with this person in the bedroom like If it would be possible for you to walk up to this person and grab their genitalia without them questioning it or thinking that was way out of line, you might be able to get away with commissioning their character without their permission. So these are people like your life mate, your live-in mate, your primary partner, maybe a long time close sexual friend, like a a best friend forever type person who you also fuck but you're not actually technically romantic with. Somebody like that, sure. But like casual friend who maybe you had sex with one time,
0: I would still want to establish consent first, right? So you would probably want to do that for taking an image as well. Well, I mean, that, that goes more, I would say, for like sexual commissions. If it's just sure. like a G, PG rated, you guys having fun sort of commission. If it's, let's say, your friend's birthday, you've never had sex with your friends, you never intend to have sex with your friends, then yeah, maybe getting a commission of your friend's character would At be... a picnic, that's probably fine, right? Yeah. But I mean, in general, like, I wouldn't... Like, speaking, you know, between Vera and I, I wouldn't necessarily commission, you know, uh, some kind of artwork of me fucking the shit out of him and be like, hey, Vera, look what I did. Like, <laughs> that, would have, that would be a little bit offensive to me, actually.
1: Yeah. But be- for a variety of reasons. One of which is, for example, the fact that currently I'm committed to only bottom for one person. So seeing art of me bottoming for another person would actually offend me for that reason. Right. So, like, there are different ways you could be very offensive in that situation also the fact that when he does bottom
0: there is no shit there so you find that to be very offensive and just not very not that would be no oh man so you know it's 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 you want to be sure that if you're doing a sexual commission of somebody else's character that you know you're pretty much like you're, you're, you're friends for life. You are dating them. You are married to them. You, you have some kind of a sexual commitment to one another. If it's a G-rated commission, there are still certain kind of caveats. Um, for example, don't commission a fursuit of somebody else's character for yourself. Don't, you know... And when it comes to copywritten characters, you also want to be careful because... There are some artists, some creative studios that these characters belong to that have been slightly less than friendly to such commissions. (laughs) So you want to make sure that you're not running afoul of any copyright laws. Um, It's a little bit of a murky area, to be honest, but at the same time, you know... Maybe you just stick to your original characters.
1: If it's something where the artist is comfortable and you're comfortable and it's maybe not 100%, you know, objectionable. I mean, mm-hmm. there's some maybe some gray area there where there's some fair use cases you can make for certain things. Yeah. We're not going to try to be the, our final arbiters of that kind of thing. But <laughs> definitely
0: don't push an artist into out of their comfort zone when it comes to that kind of stuff, right? Yeah. So speaking of comfort zones, we're just going to talk general etiquette and we're we're going to break it down. I'm going to talk to you commissioners for a second here. Um when it comes to like artists, don't demand that they work in a medium that they didn't advertise. So, let's say that you purchased digital work. Don't demand that they turn it into traditional. Don't demand that they make a fur suit. Don't demand <laughs> that don't don't make me paint you a painting if you bought a written work from me. Like Keep it where you purchased it. Don't try to expand the terms of the contract. Don't try to put the artist in a position where they're doing something that they're not comfortable with. It could be maybe in the past they've done traditional work, but they can't do that anymore, maybe because they don't have the materials, maybe they don't have the time because traditional work tends to take longer than digital. If you bought a headshot, don't be like, well, I've seen that you do like waist up, um, if you could do that instead, that would be great. Oh, you're not going to do that. Oh, you will. You like, don't, don't go that route, you know, stay in your lane when it comes to what you've commissioned. If you want something else, then don't commission it. It's, it's kind of like hiring somebody to, yeah, I'm going to hire you because we need a new manager. Actually, when I said manager, I meant waste management. Um, if you could just take out the trash. Don't, just don't do that. Don't mislead people when you commission from them. Don't try to bait and switch something from them. And don't dangle your money like it's a prize at a carnival. This is a business contract. And if you don't want what they're offering, the good news is, is that nobody is pointing a gun to your head and saying that you have to purchase it. So don't make any demands in that fashion. Also, you shouldn't demand that an artist that lists, you know, that has prices listed for their work that are way outside of your range, reduce their costs or give you freebies. That's just kind of a shit thing to do.
1: Yeah. And like, you know, there's certain cases where maybe negotiating a price might be acceptable. For example, if an artist is doing an unusual type of commission that's not something that they have a listed set price for, or if you're working with a new artist who doesn't yet have set prices or you're just working with an artist who doesn't like to work with set prices, it is okay to do some negotiation around what the cost of the final piece is going to be, but you kind of have to follow the artist's lead and what their price range might be. That being said, you know, it's okay to, uh, if, you know, once you get out of that territory, if the artist does have set fees, it's going to be rude to attempt to negotiate a lower price from an artist if they do offer those kinds of set rates, uh, because they already know what... That they're willing to accept for that type of commission, and often they take a lower rate. Basically, means you're just asking them to value their time lower, and that's a rude thing to tell an artist to their face, right? Um, it is in the for those situations okay uh, to offer to pay more if what you're asking for is a very complex scene. For example, let's say that you know your character has you know dreadlocks and a really crazy tattoo that's asymmetrical and really hard to draw, and so because of you know, the complexity of your character. You like to tip artists an extra like 10% when you commission them and you can remind the artists, Hey, I know my character is complicated, but I'm going to pay you five bucks extra in that situation. That's totally
0: fine. But you just don't want to be asking an artist to take less money from you. I will say that some artists do also, let's say if they're charging a hundred dollars and you really only have $75 that you can commit and they demand, you know, they're like, well, I need all payment upfront. Some artists will do some form of a payment plan where it's okay, well, I'll take the $75 now and I'll put you in the queue. And when you pay off the balance, then I'll take you from the queue and put you into production. So it is okay to ask artists if they have any kind of deal where you can pay a portion. And then once you have everything paid off, they'll be able to put it to work. Some artists do, some artists don't. And don't get mad if they say, no, thank you. Remember, they ultimately hold the right as to how they you know, want to get paid for doing work. So, you know, it's good to try to negotiate, you know, some form of a payment plan. I see a lot of, especially for fursuits, that tends to be more common for things that are, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, and people sometimes just don't have three grand to drop up front. So keep that in mind. That's an option. And that's, it's, At the end of the day, if you ask politely and you get a polite yes or a polite no, then everything's fine. There's no harm, no foul. This is something that I see every now and then. um, And it's something that I've spoken to some artist friends of mine about. And it's just kind of cut and dry. Don't try to befriend artists for free art. Um, Like, just, just don't don't become friends with people for the purpose of getting free shit from them. You're not really friends. You're kind of like a moocher to borrow from Ayn Rand. Oh God. Um, alternatively, if you have a friend, that's an artist, like don't ask them for free art. Um, again, that's kind of a weird area. Like if your friend is like, Hey, I made this for you, then Hey, great. It's a gift. But don't just kind of, like, hey, I was wondering if you would make, like, this for me? Like, I'm not going to pay you, but we're good friends, so I know you'll do it, right? I mean, Koji and I, we're good friends, but I I, I still want to pay him to do work because it's the right thing to do.
1: I mean, I technically even still pay Koji when when I commission him, but since we share bank accounts, it's an instantaneous transaction and doesn't accomplish
0: very much. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So, I mean, just because, you know, you're dating somebody, you're friends with somebody, don't ask them for free art. It's good to, you know, that can often ruin a friendship. So don't don't go that route. And Uh, even if you're commissioning your husband, in my case, I still try to pay him
1: in like back rubs or rim jobs or something like you (laughs) you can offer. You got to offer something.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Like, you know, dude, you know, don't, don't 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 don't, you know. <laughs> I would say that your situation might be a little bit quid pro quo, but thank <laughs> God your house is not a workplace. <laughs> I mean, I actually, it is a workplace because I, I work here. It's my home office. Oh no. <laughs> Who's your HR manager?
1: <laughs> That'd be me. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> also, I'm fucking one of my employees.
0: Oh God. I'm so going to so many people on you. It's really not working out so well. I'm kind of unethical, <laughs> I guess. Yikes. well, On that bombshell, let's move on. Um, So when it comes to commissioning art, like, provide references. And if you don't have art, let's say it's your first commission, you know, be very detailed in your explanation. You don't need to write a novel, but you should be able to write, like, okay, like, from top to bottom, this is what I'm looking for, white fur, markings like this. And it's okay to use other people's art, perhaps, to say, this is something that I like maybe not like this but maybe a little bit slanted maybe a little bit different the marking like the markings that i would like look kind of like this here's an idea of what the tattoo that i would like is things of this nature will make the commission process go much smoother artists are smart artists are creative artists are not mind readers and one tip that i'll give from commissions that i've commissioning that
1: i've done is try to be empathetic with an artist and realize what they are going to be best at emulating. And they're going to be best at emulating themselves. So if you can actually go back through an unestablished artist's uh, history and go, like look back through the art they've done previously. If you like find an expression that they've drawn before that you really like, you can say, hey, I'd really love my character to have an expression like this. And you show them an example of their own work. Guess what an artist is really good at recreating? Their own <laughs> work. <laughs> So you can kind of do a little bit of you know mix and match. I'm like, oh, I love the wings you did for this person. I love the hair you did for that guy. And the expression was perfect on this piece. And they'll be like, oh, I'd have to mix that piece and that. And that. You're making their life super easy, and you're going to get a really great result from the artist. So right. I totally recommend going back to an
0: artist's own work and pulling out the pieces you'd like them to emulate in your piece, because that'll make it really easy. And that's also just good practice to make sure that you... And the artist's style will mesh really well because there are some artists that are just not going to have the style that you're looking for. Maybe you're looking for a specific pose and you're just like, oh, maybe not this artist. And that's fine. But going through their portfolio of work is going to make you much more comfortable. And it's going to give you points of references that you can point the artist to, to be like, I like this pose with this expression, with this face, with that hair.
1: Uh, So, you know, the other thing that Cody just reminded me of, he's currently... Uh, busy making art right now and too busy to join us on the show but he did just whispered in my ear another point which is there's a fine line between giving an artist an example of another artist's work and saying I really love this pose I really love eyebrows kind of like this or I like this expression that's fine and what example I give of suggesting an artist's own work as an example is fine but don't cross the line into giving, like, say, giving someone an example of Psywolf Wolf art and saying, can you emulate Cywolf Wolf style and give me a piece just like this? Because that's not cool. Artists are, Ar- a copy artists are not copiers, they're artists. So you're, you're <laughs> actually paying them for their style. So Great. if unless you're really on a work for hire basis with somebody where you're just expecting them to be an artisan and not an artist, mm-hmm. if you're hiring them to be an artist, you have to let them use their style. If you're hiring them to be an artisan, or basically someone who's an imitator, then number one, you actually technically need that per- person's permission. And number two, it's really you're kind of paying for a different service, and an artist is going to be offended if you confuse them for that type of work. So just be careful of that. You don't want to offend an artist accidentally but just knowing that that's not okay. A lot of people might not know that that's actually really offensive. But it is really offensive to, act, to ask an artist to work outside of their own style. But yeah. don't do that.
0: Yeah, don't don't be like, I really like blotch, but like um, if you could do blotch, could you be blotch? uh (laughs) can i get something kind
1: of blotchy like that's not like you can say hey i really love something that has really detailed fur but don't
0: say like hey can this be blotchy like that's not cool you know like Like, i want the blotch art but without the blotch price like (laughs) you know don't don't go that route instead you know again it's perfectly fine to be like you know i really like the pose in this piece and like bam it's a you know blotch. And it's like, I really like the pose. I like the composition. I like the way that the fur looks, but I would like it done in your style. Do you think that that's something that you can do? And if they're like, oh, hell yeah. Then it's like, okay, cool. If they're like, well, I can probably do one or two, but I can't do all three. At that point, remember, you're still kind of negotiating what the commission is, what the contract is, what the expectations are. So it's completely fine for them to be like, I can do two out of three, or I can do one out of three, or how about something different? How about something that's uniquely me? So, just kind of, like, understand all of this information when you go into it. Um, One thing, again, that I'm just going to kind of repeat here, because it does bear repeating, you need to treat artists with respect. And artists, in fairness, you need to treat commissioners with respect. The route, You know, the road goes both ways. But commissioners, 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 remember that you are not doing a favor to the artist. You're not giving them a favor. You're not giving them a job or exposure or anything like that, while yes, there is a business transaction going on, you don't get to act like an entitled little snot. You're not basically giving them bone marrow. You're not, you're, you're, you're working with them. You are giving them money. There's a financial transaction. This is a business thing going on. This is not you saving their life you know, so don't act like an entitled little shit. Don't act like you're doing them the biggest favor in the world and they are going to owe you forever. They should do the best work that they can for you. Yes, but you shouldn't act like if you weren't there to commission them, then they would just be, you know, dying in a van down by the river. So treat your artists with respect, please. One thing about art, and this is something that I think Vero is a little bit better to kind of discuss, is the fact that there are certain rights that go along with a commissioned piece of art, and it's important to pre-negotiate the rights that you want to have.
1: Yeah, speaking as someone who works in journalism and does a lot of
0: deals with publication and stuff like that, you definitely have to keep in
1: mind and think about very carefully whether you have the right to the images that you're working with, And in this case, when you're commissioning art, you really have to figure out exactly which rights it is that you want. Uh, Unless you have a very specific type of contract that explicitly states that the work you are doing is work for hire, in most cases, pretty much every single right to that image resides with the artist. Whether you paid for the work or not, all those rights to the image still reside with the artist. All you actually pay the artist to do is make the art. So when you commission an artist, all they're actually paid to do automatically is make the art. Could you explain what work for hire is? So work for hire is a very specific type of contract where you basically agree that an artist is working as your employee, and essentially what is happening is they are making work for you in, in, in their capacity as your employee, and therefore all the rights to that image reside with you and not the artist. So it's basically the opposite of the way that you sh- it usually works. Um, and you certainly can negotiate that, and that's if you want to make your life very easy as a, uh, as a commissioner and making your artist kind of be a little pissed maybe. You can say I'd like this to be work for hire because it basically means you're transferring them into being like your hands and that's all you're paying them for. And some a lot of artists will find that kind of offensive because they want to feel like they're they have to have an investment in their own work as well. Uh so careful with that. You don't want to be too blunt when you're asking for work for hire. But unless you do have a very specific work for hire contract, all of the rights to your, that image reside with the artist and all you've paid them to do so far is produce it. Right? So you don't have the right. For example, you do not automatically have the right to host that image, which means you don't automatically have the right to upload it to FA. You don't automatically have the right to tweet it. You don't automatically have the right to use it as an icon or a banner image. You do not automatically have the right to print it out. You have no automatic rights to that image. Nothing at all. You don't. So you don't have the right to reproduce it. You don't have the right to repost it, to host it. Uh, you don't have the right to do any of that stuff. And now, granted, most artists aren't going to be sticklers for these things, but it's a good idea just. When you're putting it down, I'm paying you money for this service to list off the rights to the image you expect, because then if there's ever a conflict, you at least have it written down that you both agree to this. So say, you know, yes, Joe artist, I do want the right to host my file. I do want the right to repost it. I would like the right to print it. Those are right reasonable things to ask for. Another one that comes up pretty often is the right to modify. And a lot of people might think, oh, I'm not going to have to have it recolored. I'm not going to have to have it retouched or anything. Why would I want the right to modify? Well, the reason you might want to request the right to modify the image is because cropping is considered a modification. So let's say, for example, you commission a full body piece of yourself or maybe a a multi character commission, and you would like to crop out the head and neck or like the head and shoulder shot of your character to be your Twitter icon. Totally reasonable thing to want to do. But if you did not request from your artist the right to modify that image, You then, even if you have the right to host the image, you hosting a modified version of it that is just the head could, could in fact, be a violation of copyright because the artist didn't actually explicitly give you the permission to do that. So request that permission in advance as well. Say, I would like the right to modify, and specifically, I would like the right to crop this image. That's something you might want to ask for. Now, the artist might come back to you and say, hey, actually, if you're going to crop it to make an icon, would you mind if I give you a separate version of the icon that still has my watermark in it? So that I, I, people still know it's my art, would it be okay with you if I gave you, if instead of giving you the right to crop, I gave you a separate image that is just cropped the way you want it, and I can I can watermark that for you? In that case, I think the gracious thing to do is to say say yes to the artist, and say yes, that is fine with me, artist. I'm happy to take that instead. But that's something that they might they might actually say because there are, a lot of artists will balk at right to crop because they're concerned that their watermark or their made by you know line is going to get cropped out of the image and that means they're not going to get credit and they're not going to get any referrals from that art right so they want a lot of artists will request that you keep an attribution attached to the art right
0: yeah and you'll see that sometimes even if like for some of the art that i have it's i do crop the face out for like twitter op, for twitter profiles just for an icon but it is still good to say, like, icon by so and so, especially if the watermark, if the buy, you know, if the artist signature is not present, because that way they're still getting, you know, attribution. And it is good, even if you are given the right to rehost um, the art, it is still just good practice to say, like, hey, this art was by so and so and link to their profile. You know, some artists will say, yeah, sure, you can rehost it as long as you, you know, Give credit in the description as long as you link back to my profile. You know, these are reasonable expectations and these are things that you should not be offended by. There was a some kind of a a screen cap going around of a conversation somebody was having in for Affinity Notes where they're like, yeah, I always craft the art to take out the artist's signature because that art is mine. And just because you made it doesn't mean that it's yours. And you might think it should
1: work that way, but that's not how it actually works.
0: <laughs> yeah, so you know, don't don't go that route, you know, Just kind of make sure that you aren't a dick. Now there are some artists again, if they are you know, super chill. they might be like, yeah, sure, you can rehost it. Don't worry about that, you know, attribution or anything like that. But in most cases, it is good business, and it is just being a good commissioner to say, like, I got this, I really like this, and if you like it, then here's where you can get it. It it promotes positivity and, you know, goodness between you as a commissioner and the artist, and it kind of keeps the community healthy.
1: Well, another point I'm going to make here, too, for why that's good, like, you might think, well, why should I bother to advertise the artist? Um, number one, you can do it just because it's, it's good to be nice. But if you are like some kind of like really selfish dickwad who needs a selfish reason to do things, um, the selfish reason to do it is because you actually benefit from the artist's goodwill. Because guess what you might want to do eventually? You might want to recommission the same artist. And when you treat artists, you commission really well. The, the, a, a, the, the person they're most happy to take as a, as a new commission is a previous commissioner who treated them well. And they are far more likely to take a commission from you than they are to take a commission from a new person because they know your money is good, the check's clear, and you're not a complete pain they have to work with. So, and if you treat them super well, they might even remember you super favorably, like, oh, wow, that guy shared my post a ton, and I got a ton of new work from him the last time I did art for him, and he shared my, my work, and man, that went really well, so I totally want to take his commission. They might even open a slot for you when they otherwise would have been full in that case, right? So... Treat artists well, because they might treat you well again in the future. You're building a relationship. And it's very rare that you're going to want, if you really like a piece from an artist, that you're going to want to not commission the artist again in the future. You probably are going to want to commission them again in the future. So treat them well.
0: So one thing that um, I do often see is people, you know, they don't necessarily want for the artwork to be posted by the artist. So they want art that is not part of a portfolio. Um, This could be because it's a gift. They don't want the surprise to be ruined. This could be because they just kind of really want this art for themselves. It could be something that they want done privately, something that they don't want the world to see. So there are some sort of ways that you can kind of discuss this with the artist. Some artists will charge an additional fee to say, okay, if you don't want this in my portfolio, if you want this to not be posted anywhere, then yes, more I'm more than happy to accommodate, but there is a $20, $30, $40 additional fee on top of that, because I'm essentially kind of assigning copyright to you. Like, I no longer have the rights to distribute this image. I no longer have the rights to say that this image is mine. There'll still be a watermark. More, I mean, you can negotiate that too, but in most cases they won't post that art. That art is sent to you. Here's your digital copy. Here's your physical copy, whatever it might be. And thank you for your business. This is something that you have to pre-negotiate and not every artist does this. So you can't demand it of somebody that's like, no, I'm not comfortable with doing that. I want this to be in my portfolio because you know, I'm an artist and I need to grow my portfolio. And another option I like
1: tossing in kind of other ways of negotiating this that I think a lot of people don't consider because I like our show to be educational. One thing I wish more people would consider and something that I've actually done with artists before where I couldn't compromise on this is I offered them kind of an off the wall solution but it ended up working out super well for both me and the artist. As I said, hey, well, what I really want is to surprise my mate with this piece. And you, you don't, I don't really want them to accidentally discover it on your, in your portfolio because they're, you're a really popular artist and they actually think they might actually follow you. So if, if you post it before they see it when I give it to them, they're going to, it's going to ruin the surprise and that's going to bug me out. And so what I actually negotiated with the artist is, could we do an embargo where you give me the image and then you give me a 60 day window where you don't host the image yourself until after the 60 days has passed. So yes, it eventually becomes part of your portfolio, but you give me a 60 day embargo where it's a private image for that first 60 days and then it becomes part of your portfolio. And so that way I got to enjoy the privacy of it and got to experience giving it to my mate as a gift without the artist publicizing it prior to me getting a chance to do that, I got to share it and enjoy sharing the art myself. And then the artist got to add it to their portfolio and got an added boost of posting it like two months later. Plus for me, it worked out well because the art got shared again by the artist and then got a second wave of popularity. So I basically got two Twitter bumps from my art. So I was pretty proud of that. But anyway, it was a pretty slick move on my part, but it also ended up working out super well for the artist and worked out super well for me. I think, I don't really know a lot of artists who wouldn't offer that because it's like, it really doesn't hurt them at all. So maybe instead of having to ask for the exclusive right to host the image, you might settle for a two month or six month embargo. So see if that might work for you.
0: Yeah, and you know, just be mindful of the way that embargoes work. If the artist is under the impression that means that neither of you will host or post the work, then you need to follow through on your end as well. Just because you have an agreement and the artist is operating under good intentions, doesn't mean that you can still kind of dick them over. So make sure that you kind of follow through on your end as well. If the embargo is both ways, keep it both ways, keep it offline. And then once that time is up, then hey, go nuts. So just be mindful of that. Um, In most cases, a two-way, two-sided embargo for posting that's pretty much like okay and most artists won't charge an added fee but if it is like a one-way embargo then mm-hmm. expect depending on the
1: length depending on the length that you might yeah, be true. charged a fee
0: true but like especially for one way where it's like okay you as the artist can't post this for like a period of like three to six months then expect an additional fee added on to the cost of the total commission probably lower than what exclusive hosting would would cost, but it might be somewhere in between, right? Yeah, so just be mindful of that because artists, you know, they want to share their work. They want to drum up more business. And the best way to do that is by posting work. So if you take that away from them and you're like, no, I get to do it and you don't, then, you know, yeah, expect to like pay a little bit more money and that's fine. If you need something done in a specific way, then you need to be mindful of the fact that it does cost money. That's really the... Crux of commissions, (laughs) um. So, you know, we've spoken about like work for hire contracts and all of that. One thing, you know, that's kind of important and not really discussed all that much is it's a good idea to tip artists if they do great work for you. It's good, like they're done, and you're like, wow, this is amazing. Thank you so much. Consider giving them a tip. Most artists, you know, you already have their PayPal. You can kind of drop them a few dollars. You know, some people like to tip 5% or 10% or 20%. However much you think is appropriate and however much you think that you can do, like don't make the decision between paying rent and tipping an artist. You don't have to tip immediately either. You can delay until you're more financially stable or you have the money that you think is appropriate to tip to the artist. So this also kind of does promote goodwill. If it comes down the line and you want to recommission the artist, it's possible that, you know, by tipping them, that they'll have remembered you and they say, you know, this person was good. Like, I didn't have a problem. The art was fun to do. And they were very, you know, generous when it came to paying me. The payments were on time. And also, they gave me a little tip. So, it's kind of, you know, it was a good working relationship. And I'm more than happy to enter into a second working relationship. So, just be mindful of that. Not everybody does it. It's not a requirement. A tip is, of course, extra, but it's a good idea because we want to support our artists. So <sighs> here's kind of the thing that um, really kind of inspired this, uh, this episode. Don't jump on social media to bash an artist before trying to work out your issues with the artist privately. So if you've commissioned art from somebody, if you've commissioned work from somebody and the, you know, everything's good and you as the artist have yet to receive payment. If let's say that you take 50% up front and then you take the remaining portion once the work is complete, you're waiting on getting that remaining portion and the commissioner just is delaying. Or perhaps they're being a little bit feisty. They want revisions when you didn't offer them in your terms of service or they didn't mention them during the drafts, the sketches, the final sketch, the line work, any point where revision would be possible and like feasibly simple to do. Now that the final work is done, they're like, no, well, this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong and this is wrong, but they've signed off on everything else. Try to work out your problems. Try to work out these differences privately before you take it to a public forum or something like Artists Beware, Twitter, a journal, things of that nature. Because, again, the idea is you want to promote goodwill both ways. That being said, it is sometimes, and it is unfortunately more often than not, appropriate to warn friends off of a particular commissioner, and in some cases even an artist. So, The thing is, is that it's not fair to either party to bash the reputation, to bash their reputation without giving them a chance to make you happy, to honor their commitments, to honor the agreements and terms of the contract. If, let's say, you're like, okay, well, I'm ready to receive payment and a few hours pass and there hasn't been a response... That doesn't mean that it's time to go to Twitter and be like, oh my God, you won't believe, but Vero refuses to pay the, like, you don't want (laughs) to do that, you know, give each party time, make sure that everybody is coming to the plate. If one party is just like avoiding or being a pain and there's just really no other form of recourse, then yes, it is fine to warn other people. If let's say that you've received payments, but you have a commissioner who's cropping your art and taking out your name and watermark and saying, yeah, look at this. This is great. This is mine. Then, yeah, it's probably appropriate to kind of warn people and say, this person is stealing my art and saying that it's theirs. They might have paid for it, but it's not. We didn't agree to this. So artists, you probably want to watch out for them because they're kind of not great to work for. That's appropriate to do, but do that after you reach out to them and say, I don't appreciate you doing this. These are the rights that I retain. You know, this art is mine per copyright, da 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 da. This is the agreement that we have. Please remove it. If you want to host it, that's fine, but you have to host it as the total file with my watermark and attribution. If they refuse to follow through on that, then yes, it's perfectly fine for you to say, Dear fellow artists or dear fellow commissioners, you know, things of that nature. When you have these discussions, employ nonviolent communication strategies and empathize with each other. It could be maybe, yes, I'm sorry. Yes, I know payment is due. Unfortunately, I have some, you know, emergency medical bills. And like, if it's possible, can you hold off on posting it? Um, I should have more money coming in in a month. I'm terribly sorry about this. I know that, you know, it's good to empathize with people. It's good to try to see things from their perspective. If you commissioned art and they're like, I'm sorry, but there was a death in the family. So I'm having to put all of my commissions on pause as I handle some personal matters. Don't lash out and be like, oh my God, I can't believe that they're allowing somebody dying to get in the way of them doing. Don't be a dick. But at the same time, don't allow for yourself to be taken for a ride. It's good to have these discussions. But at the end of the day... If it's just excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse after excuse, excuse, then maybe it's best to kind of just wash your hands of it, try to get money back if that's a possibility, try to get the money that you're owed if that's a possibility, and just move on. Unfortunately, as a freelancer, this is something that happens more often than not. God damn it. Yeah. (laughs) And... Just speaking from experience and the amount of times that I have taken people to small claims court, if this is a smaller commission, $20, $30, it's not worth that. Mm -mm. (laughs) So, you know, use your judgment. Try to, you know, resolve the situation offline or privately or however is best without it being blown up into a public thing and avoid any ultimatums until you've exhausted all of your other options. Artists beware and other forms of, um, we'll say call out blogs, um, lists of people to avoid taking commissions from, or artists to avoid commissioning from those are valuable sources of information for the fandom. And it's important that you don't have somebody added to it based off of a soul negative experience that you had from something that was out of their control. If their internet went out, unfortunately that's out of their control. There's nothing they can do about that. But if they're working to resolve the situation to make you happy, the thing, you know, the thing that you should do is allow them that opportunity. Be empathetic to their situation. And, you know, just at the end of the day, try to promote goodwill. Sometimes that goodwill is promoted by warning other people from them, though. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so just be mindful of that. Um, so commissioners, hopefully, you know, those are those are some things to kind of keep your eyes on. When it comes to artists, though, here's the biggest kind of tip that I have for you. And it's kind of silly, but you should do this. Um, Wherever you host your information, whether it's a private, you know, personal website for Affinity, Weasel, wherever it is, have a terms of service in an FAQ. Have it, you know, something that details your prices. Your your the rights that commissioners have to rehost work, to crop art to demand exclusivity, to demand copyright. Have your terms and prices laid out. And as part of the commissioning process, include a point that says that by commissioning me for art, you agree to the terms of service that are listed out on and include the link. That is going to make any kind of appeal process if they refuse to pay you or File the dispute with PayPal or however you transact funds. That's going to make any kind of argument that you make against them in terms of a call out blog, (laughs) anything so much better. So before you, you know, kind of get into like the serious side of freelancing, have a terms of service. It's going to go so far for you. That's how I was able to get money from people that refused to pay me what they thought that they should. At the end of the day, the terms of service is what kind of binds people. So a contract is great, but by including that as part of the contract, it is an added layer of protection for you. You know, as an artist, it's good to touch base. It is good to ask questions. It is good to show things in progress. Touch base as frequently as you see fit. If it is a complex piece and you're like, I'm going to do two sketches and two line pieces and like a flat color and you get to see all of these, touch base then. If you have questions, touch base. However often you think appropriate, get into touch with your commissioner. You know, if you have established revision checks, make sure that you honor those as well. You know, go through the process and have that outlined in your terms of service as well. There are certain situations where let's say that you submit a, um, you know, hey, this is a draft. I need you to approve it for me to continue. Make sure that you have a clause in there that if they don't get back and and be make it a reasonable amount of time. Don't make it like 24 hours. Make it like 72 hours to a week. They have a week to respond at most before you just kind of continue or put it on pause or You know, try to be reasonable when it comes to this, because the last thing that you want to do is have a situation where you're waiting for a response from a commissioner and you can't take on additional work because of that. And you're just stuck in this kind of financial limbo. So make sure that you detail that in your terms of service and you come up with a solution that works for you as an artist. On that kind of same note, don't take on more commissions than you have time. Don't com- Let's say that you know that comfortably you can crank out, um, if you're doing like icons or headshots, you can crank out maybe two to three commissions a day comfortably. Don't challenge yourself to do 10 in one day. You're going to be incredibly stressed out, and it's quite possible that the quality of art is not going to be where you want it to be. Now, there are some things like the Iron Artist Challenge where it's understood that the art style is going to be maybe not as complex, it's going to be simple sketches, it's going to be something where it's not as refined, and everybody's on board with that. But don't have people commission you expecting for your best quality when you take on so much work that you can only give your second best. Make sure that you honor your commitments to excellence as well as an artist. Don't stress yourself out. And, you know, just kind of be a good artist when it comes to these sorts of things. Don't take on too much work because at the end of the day, your health is going to suffer. And while you might need the money, if you're sick and you can't do work, you're going to lose more money in the end. So just be advised of that. Um, Good references also are great. You know, have a portfolio. Host it wherever you see fit. DeviantArt, Fur, Affinity, Weasel, wherever is best. Not everybody needs a personal website. Not everybody needs a professional website. If you're kind of being, if you're a freelancer though, I would recommend looking into getting one because it's a great idea to have all of your information collected in one place. Websites are free and easy to make and I mean, hell, if you're not comfortable with making a website, you can do a commission trade. There are plenty of people that design websites, but they can't draw. And if you can draw, like, feel free to trade. (laughs) Um, Charge appropriately for the art that you produce. Um, If your art is, if you think that your art is worth $40 and people buy it at $40, then your art is worth $40. That is how the art-free market works. That is how freelancing works. Your art is worth however much people pay you for. If people pay you $80, it is worth $80. If people do not pay you $80, but they pay you $60, it is worth $60. Adjust your prices accordingly, and don't be afraid to. Don't be afraid to raise your prices or lower your prices. Don't think that it makes you any better of an artist or worse of an artist if you have to make adjustments to your pricing scheme. And don't allow people to give you any crap at the end of the day, as freelancers, you need to make a living wage. And if you undercharge, if you sp- say $5 for an icon, and that icon takes you five hours to make, congratulations, you are being paid a dollar an hour. Don't do that. Make sure that you're making enough to feed yourself. Make sure that you're making enough to live off of. Don't just take commissions based off of, well, you know, This is, you know, I know people will pay $5. That's great, but but like at the end of the day, it's not the amount of people that are willing to pay. It's the amount of money that you're able to make. Unfortunately, you have to look at it as a business. It's not a popularity contest. And trust me, if you do good work that is appropriately priced, people are still going to want to purchase from you. So price appropriately and price according to what you think it is worth and what people pay. And if people give you shit, just smile and wave because they're jealous of you, honey. Um, when it comes to financials, and this is just kind of me speaking as a freelancer, don't spend the money that you receive from a commission before the commission is complete, unless it is like a dire emergency. Like if I don't pay my mortgage, I'm getting kicked out tomorrow. So if you could commission me, that would be great. Um, Don't try to keep that money in some form of escrow. Like if you receive money from PayPal, like if that's how you handle your transactions, keep that money in PayPal. Don't transfer it to a bank account. Keep that money somewhere where if the uh, commissioner comes back a day later and says, "Um, actually, I know that I commissioned you yesterday and I sent you $100. But unfortunately, I'm going to have to cancel my commission due to like things. And like, I see you haven't started working on it. So if I could please get the money back don't spend money before you actually have the money. It's, it's, you know, the adage of don't put the, you know, cart before the horse, make sure that you complete your end before you spend that money that has come back to bite more people in the ass than I would like to mention, but just be, be aware of that. Again, if it's like an emergency sort of deal, then I'm sure people will be a little bit more understanding. And as an artist, you don't necessarily have to disclose whether you've spent that money or not, but it's just good business practice. You know, don't spend money before you've actually completed earning that money. And uh, don't be afraid to decline work. If working, let's say the commissioner wants like some like hard porn and you're like, I draw Disney stuff like Disney style toony G rated stuff. Don't be afraid to say no to work. Um, Don't be afraid to say no because somebody wants copyrighted characters that you're not comfortable drawing or other people's characters that you're not comfortable drawing. Don't be afraid to say no because they want you to write something that you're not comfortable with. You know, it's at the end of the day, it is your right to say no and just be mindful of that. And uh, again, you know, don't jump on social media straight away to bash somebody. Like, let's say that you're working with somebody that's a little bit difficult. Don't like, don't, don't lash out at them on social media. Let them, you know, have discussions with people, make conversation with them. Try to, you know, it may not be your job to educate people on how to be a good commissioner. But if you have the opportunity to say like, hey, just in the future, maybe consider doing the following things you can kind of build that goodwill, you know, sometimes as an artist, especially for newer people, for younger people, you do kind of have to be a little bit of a teacher in terms of how to conduct business. So if somebody is, you know, commissioning art from you, but they're kind of uncertain on how to do it, don't go to Twitter and be like, oh my God, I wish people knew how to commission art from me. God damn. And include like screenshots of the conversation with names blanked out, promote goodwill. Sometimes you have to teach, sometimes you have to lead. And unfortunately, that's kind of the way that the fandom works. When you are put in a production role, when you're put in a producing role, people look up to you. So try to continue to inspire goodwill. With freelancing, it is a series of events. It typically is each commission is a separate event, and all it takes is really one incredibly negative event. To kind of tarnish your reputation, so be mindful of that. Don't set out to kind of burn all of your bridges when you're burning the bridges to your financial like intake. Basically, don't shit where you eat. I guess is what I'm trying to say. So you know, be mind. You know, consider all of these things as an artist. Work within your comfort level, work in a manner that you feel safe and secure in and decline people that make you feel uncomfortable. Don't take on work. Don't agree to make art of something that down the line, you're like, actually, I'm not really comfortable with this. And I should have said it earlier, but now I have all of your money. So, ha ha, don't do that. Um, We've we've spoken a little bit about financials. Um, We haven't really touched on it a lot. But as freelancers, we do kind of want to say a few things about how to handle financial transactions, especially when they're happening across countries, across continents. There are ways that you can handle financial transactions in a way that is safe and secure for both you as an artist and you as a commissioner.
1: Hong Kong. And whoever's outside
0: there. (laughs) Um, I don't know who that was. Strange. Um... So one thing, and this is uh, something that Vero actually kind of pointed out, um, is, you know, services like PayPal offer heavy buyer-seller protection.
1: Yeah. And so this is something that I think it's important to keep in mind. Those protections are only really in place if you perform the transaction in a way that PayPal considers to be a purchase. So... If you happened, uh, if your artist is willing to send you an invoice through a service such as PayPal, that's going to ensure that there's that paper trail that guarantees that you're protected. And it's going to make sure that if there are any disputes, that you can work through those disputes using PayPal's internal systems. Uh, if you don't have an invoice, you can still be protected. But then in that case, you have to make sure that when you're paying, you select the transaction types like, uh, such as goods and services and not one such as personal. Because when you choose to send funds as a personal transfer, most uh, money transferring services will not grant you the buyer and seller protections that they would grant to a uh, transaction they would that is considered a concerted purchase. So make sure you list the transaction as a purchase and pay that uh, fee that is usually associated with a purchase because what that fee gets you is those buyer and seller protections. That's essentially what that fee pays for. So make sure you're, you're, you're doing that. Uh, now you might say, okay, I don't really feel comfortable. Paying for all this money up front for you know, maybe a $200 art piece that's got five characters in it, it's a lot of money. I don't really feel comfortable transferring all that money up front until I get something delivered to me. So there are a couple different ways to handle this. Uh, if you're working with uh, someone who's not maybe a less than a well-known artist, um, you might offer to pay them in installments. If it's a really well-known artist whose commands a high rate, they're not going to take installments. But if it's a new artist, they might, because they're, they, they realize that they're not a well-established figure, that they don't really have a lot of trust in the community. If they're a widely trusted figure, though, they have no reason to take installments, so that they probably won't, just FYI. But if it's a new artist, you can offer to pay in installments. I recommend something like a fourth up front, and then you can pay them another fourth when they deliver a first sketch to you. And then like another fourth when they deliver like a line work preview, or maybe just a flat color preview. And then it gives them the final payment of one fourth when they deliver the final product to you. And that way, it keep, keeps the arts incentivized to keep working, and it keeps you confident that you're not losing money on, our, on, our, on work that's not being done. So it's a good, it's a good compromise. Another strategy that you might uh, want to consider using, uh, if you're both not in a really high trust situation, but you really do want the art from the person, is you can actually find a mutually trusted third party uh, who maybe both of you know, at, like a mutual friend, and you can ask them to hold on to the money until. Well, everyone is satisfied that they are. the work has been completed to everyone's satisfaction. And otherwise, maybe they can help you um, kind of adjudicate who's right if there's any kind of uh, issue between the two of you. So that's something that you can definitely, uh, you know, you can find for someone like that who wants to take on that role for you. That's something you might want to do if you're working with, for example, a new fursuit maker or someone else where the, the cost of the item is so high that you really don't feel comfortable paying them until after the work is done. But the, art, the artist also doesn't feel comfortable doing work until they know the money is there and all, all ready to go. So giving the money to a third party can actually be a solution in that particular situation.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, these are just some ideas on how to conduct financial transactions safely and securely to make sure that everybody feels like they're on equal footing. It adds protections for you as a commissioner. It adds protections for you as an artist. And there are plenty of tutorials and there are plenty of artists and commissioner communities that exist within the fandom that can kind of show you additional tools and techniques that you can take in order to make yourself as secure and profitable as possible. Because at the end of the day, within the fandom, you want to make sure that the, the, the relationship that we have between people that produce content, again... Models for Second Life, art, written works, music, fursuits, whatever the medium might be. You want to make sure that there's goodwill fostered between both groups. Because if people don't feel secure in commissioning art, then you as an artist suffer. And if people don't feel comfortable in taking commissions from you, then you kind of suffer. There are plenty of people within the fandom that suffer from either stigma, whether it's being a very shitty commissioner, whether it's being a flaky artist, and memes abound about these. So just be mindful of these guidelines. Be mindful of whether what you're asking for is appropriate or not. And just kind of move forward from there. Make the best, you know, art commissions possible. We as a fandom are unique in the fact that we don't have that, that everything that we do is original, which is kind of strange in a way, but there's no kind of storyline for that other fandoms have. It's not like Sherlock or Doctor Who or Game of Thrones, where there's a storyline that exists outside. We get to make the fandom what it is and we make it new and interesting and unique and accepting and a good place for creativity. So let's continue to foster that kind of an environment and make everybody feel safe and secure to create. We're going to move on to our listener question. Um, we have a listener question, um, who asks, I'm an older fur with vision problems. Uh, will I be made fun of if I show up to events? Um, Their question is, I'm not sure where to start, Um, I guess with some of the problems that I have. Uh, For one, I am very low vision, so I have to wear very thick lenses to see. And I am older, I'm 62, almost 63. I'm not a very outgoing type, and I've been made fun of a lot. And I figure I will keep being made fun of. Uh, I know some about, you know, I know some things about being gay, but I'm not sure if I know everything, and I'm terrible, you know, about kind of expressing myself, so... Are there any ways or ideas that you have for helping me meet new people?
1: So the first issue that you have to address here, I think is perhaps looking at this the wrong way. And you know, borrowing from stoicism here, I think the first thing that's going to make you more successful and have more fun at furry events is realizing that you can't change other people, but you can change yourself. And what you can change about the situation is the way you perceive what's going to, ha- going to happen to you when you ha- went into wander into a furry event. You realize, of course, that you are well outside of the norm for the, the attendee at a fur con. However, you also have to realize that people there are all people who are well outside the norm in general, and they tend to be a pretty accepting bunch. So it's not going to be completely crazy for someone uh, showing up to an event who is, in fact, uh, older or you know wears funny, you know, Glasses or whatever it might be that your issues happen to uh, to be. So you can totally go to an event you're probably not going to get made fun of. Now, it's possible that some jerk shows up and is going to make fun of you. But even if that happens, you don't have to value the opinion of some jerkwad who, ha- who, who shows up at an event. The, fact, the very fact that they're making fun of you tells you that that person's opinion isn't very, uh, I would say, coming from a very good source. So I would urge you again to consider the source when taking that kind of criticism at a Furcon and realize the type of person who would make fun of you for your appearance at a Furcon is not the kind of person whose opinion you should care about anyway. So just let it go water off a duck's back at that point. So I always would advocate that kind of stoicism, let yourself go. Don't be anxious about what people think of you because most people aren't going to be thinking about you. They're going to be thinking about themselves and the fact that they're at a Furcon trying to have fun. So go enjoy yourself. If somebody makes fun of you, laugh it off. If nobody makes fun of you, just have a good time. And I think that would be my personal advice on that front.
0: I mean, that's pretty much it. You know, at the end of the day, It's there will always be people that will ridicule that will make fun, but their opinions are kind of not really that important. You know, I can understand if you have gone through a long many many years of experiencing people making fun of you, that it can be a sensitive area. But one of the beautiful things about the you know, the fandom is that for the most part, people are fairly caring and accepting and open. And I found that while, yes, there are some people that are not part of that norm, they tend to be outliers. And while, yes, some people might give you odd looks, some people might make some jokes at your expense. At the end of the day, who cares if you're there to make friends and if you're able to make friends, especially ones that you meet online, then that's great. The beautiful thing is that with this being a fandom that is so connected on a digital basis, it's good to, and it's easy to make friends on a digital level. And then if you make plans to meet them in person, they kind of have an idea of who you are. Sure, on the internet, nobody knows that you're a dog. And yes, nobody on the internet you know, might see your what you view as imperfections, what you view as being too old or too different for people to really care about. And yes, we often do put our best foot forward when it comes to digital interactions. But at the end of the day, people within the fandom tend to care about people on the basis of the fact that we are all unique individuals that share an interest in common. And it's based off of those commonalities. It could be, yes, you might have some vision problems, but you enjoy playing board games. And there are plenty of people that enjoy playing board games, and they can give a crap if you're 62 or 16. So find people that share common interests. You don't know, you say you don't know a lot about being gay. I don't know if that means if you're gay or if you don't know like how other people that are gay act the fandom is a great place to ask these kinds of questions because people are very open about themselves and they are more than happy to answer questions. While some of your questions might seem perhaps offensive to some people because they're not used to people coming from your background, perhaps, at the end of the day, they're questions worth asking because it brings more commonality. So I would recommend... Making friends online as a great way to start. Making local friends using different applications, different meetup uh, tools in order to find local friends. And when it comes to conventions, have fun. Meet up with friends, meet up with locals. And if people treat you differently, then fuck them because you're a good person as you are. And you may not know everything that you want to know, but that's the truth for really everybody.
1: Well, the last point I'll make, too, is that a lot of uh, fur cons actually do have certain events that are designed to help you meet people in slightly smaller settings where you have certain things in common. So you might actually check con schedules for events like furry speed dating, uh, furry speed networking. Some fur, some fur cons have older fur meetups or gray muzzle meetups. You might want to show up to one of those where you'll be, meet other people who are on the older side in the fandom. Uh, you can also look for regional meetups. So Maybe there's a meetup for people from your city or a meetup for people from your state at a furcon that's further away, and that can give you a chance to meet locals you might not otherwise meet. So um, lots of different options at furcons for you to maybe mingle and meet more people who might be like-minded or might be people you could get to know better.
0: Yeah, so just bear all of those in mind and just kind of come up with, I don't want to say a plan of attack, but come up with a way that that you are comfortable with yourself and that allows for you the chance to grow in the ways that you think would be best for you. So good luck. And if you're ever at a convention that I'm at, feel free to poke me because I could give a crap if you're blind, deaf or whatever it is. As long as we can, you know, spend time together and have a good time. That's all that really matters. So we're going to go ahead and close out this week's show. Um, next week, we're going to, you know, speaking about conventions, we're going to talk about how to handle arguments that you have at conventions. Let's say that you and your mate get into a fight and you're not sure how to handle it. You both share a room and, uh uh-oh, now you're not on talking terms. Could be maybe you and your friend have a blowout. Somebody makes a mistake. There are a lot of variables that can happen at conventions and it's important to kind of discuss them and play them out and role play them ahead of time to know how you would react and what the best possible solution would be for you this goes a lot in hand in hand with integrity and emotional boundaries and it's going to be again a fandom specific topic but with convention season around the corner it's important that we get it you know out in the open so that's next week if you have questions If you have comments, concerns, if you have feedback, hit us up on our contact page, feralattraction.com slash contact. So many ways to get into touch with us. All of them are listed there, anonymous, spoken. You can call us, you can email us, you can beat me. You can do whatever if you want to reach me. Call (laughs) me beat me if you want to reach me. I'll be Kim Possible for you, baby. So many ways to get into touch with us. And while you're there, you should see links to our iTunes and Google Play. If you could, if you listen on either of those platforms, it would be really helpful if you gave us a rating, a review, any kind of feedback there. It helps boost our ranking and it helps boost our visibility so other people can reach us and we can continue to grow. If you're able to make a financial contribution, consider becoming a patron of ours on Patreon. We have different donation tiers, one of which is that we will give shoutouts at the end of every episode. Snares, who's been a patron of ours for quite some time, has his own Patreon at patreon.com snares for Meteor Showers, which is a crowdfunded webcomic. But he also, speaking about commissions, if you would like to commission snares, go to his Fur Affinity page. Uh, his username is Furious, F-U-R-I-O-U-S, like the emotion. Consider getting a commission by snares. A lot of beefy bar daddy muscle types if you're into that sort of thing. Zarpolis is also one of our patrons who has a Patreon of his own, patreon.com slash Zarpolis. He is an author who recently had a book published through Thirst and Hell Press titled The Pride of the Parahumans. And if you're a fan of speculative fiction, science fiction, or StarCraft, you would probably enjoy his work, which focuses on anthropomorphic uh, creatures artificially created who find their place amongst the stars once they rebel against their creators. And Myron, if you're looking for something a little bit lighter, a little bit fluffier, a little bit more rambly, pictures, all that good stuff of red panda dogs, consider being a follower of Myron's on Twitter at MyronTheFluffy. So next week, we're going to talk about handling arguments at conventions. Is there anything else you want to add, Vero?
1: I think that would be a good discussion, but that's all for this week.
0: All right. Well, until next week, I'm Metrico,
1: And I'm Vera the Science Collie. Be well.
0: The the top the person who is 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 the person who